Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. Today I'm in conversation with Dr. Katie Tryon, behaviour change expert and director of health strategy at the health insurer Vitality UK. You might remember I interviewed someone from Vitality a while back about hybrid working and I'm excited to go back there and touch on this topic again, knowing what we know a year on. Prior to moving into various health roles and moving to Kenya, Katie trained as a medical doctor at Oxford University and Imperial College London. Katie is passionate about sustainability and longevity in healthcare around the world, and she's always finding new ways to push this agenda forward through her work at Vitality. So today we're talking about hybrid working a year on from the so-called COVID Freedom Day. We're asking how are businesses actually contributing to the health and well-being of those that work for them, and how has work changed, and how do we make it better? Vitality recently partnered with CBI Economics to survey 350 chief execs, combining this with insights from more than 2,000 workers across the UK to reveal the priorities, the perceptions and experiences of workplace health and well-being in this new working world. We'll be discussing these findings and how we can actually create healthier boundaries at work and at home, a topic that I love talking about. If you're interested in reading more about the findings, you can head to the show notes and follow the link. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You have had such a fascinating career and you've moved around and you do so much. Obviously, you love sport. You've trained as a doctor and you're obviously someone that lives and breathes this theme of health and wellness and well-being. Um, What does it mean to you in your sort of personal life? Gosh, what does it mean to me personally? It's very hard. My personal life is so tied up in having young children and no time. And I think like a lot of people, it's more about how we construct our lives as a group unit, I suppose, as a family. So, but I suppose, I mean, the interesting thing is, is how I got here, really, because, you know, to some extent, I came from a very clinical angle, you know, having been a doctor, I just saw really how I'd worked in the UK, I'd worked in the US, I worked in Africa, and and all health systems are struggling, wherever you are in the world, financially, access, they're all really battling. And really what I saw so clearly was unless we kind of share and, and have a sort of shared value model mm-hmm. around our health and well-being, it's never going to work, you know. And it really has to be a sort of partnership with individuals, with businesses, with governments, with insurance companies, you know, to to be able to actually square that circle because otherwise it's, you know, we're always going to be struggling with pushing costs down in different directions. And I think the amazing thing about health and well-being is, you know, really if you focus on well-being and prevention, you genuinely do get benefits for everybody. Definitely. I mean, I feel like now people are really taking it seriously and it still feels physical well-being okay we've we've spoken about that quite a lot but mental well-being still feels like a new topic in terms of how to actually help people I just wondered where the passion comes from working at Vitality because I feel like to do this job you have to really be into the idea of us making progress I think you're right I think there are I mean progress is you know it's kind of many layered theme. You know, I think you're right in terms of the sentiment now is getting kind of stronger and stronger towards health, well-being, helping each other to improve that. Um, And that's definitely the first step on the journey. And then, like you say, the big question is, 
well, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And I think that's been, you know, that's also taken leaps and bounds in development over the last few years, um, whether that is through services that are provided or particularly in the digital realm. You know, we're getting so many more digital services in this space, um, which comes with its own caveats around making sure that they are, you know, clinically appropriate, effective, good value for money, all of that. Um, But it does give a sort of wealth of opportunity in this space. So I think with the added focus matched with services and capabilities to be able to actually offer things to people, I think we are actually moving into a different realm in this space. And just so everyone's clear, what does wellbeing mean? Emotional well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being, environmental well-being. How do you define it? All of the above, including also things like financial well-being. You know, I think I think for a long time, um, everyone has, you know, we've been in silos, haven't we, addressing individual elements. A lot of our focus has been around physical and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have said that well-being by definition was only that. I think yeah. it's obviously a far broader topic. And we've certainly um, been looking further towards environmental well-being, towards financial well-being, um, and and really kind of expanding, I suppose, that the remit in which we play within the broad definition of well-being. Yes. Well, something that you know I talk a lot about on this podcast and beyond is being sort of healthier in terms of our work, which has come about with the conversation around hybrid working, because in an ideal world, it is this middle ground where you get to almost have that more flexible lifestyle of you getting to choose what, how to kind of cut up your week, like what days do I want to be in the office? What days do I need to see people face to face? What days do I have to look after my five children? And, and it's like, in premise, this great idea. So I thought we could talk about what seems to be working first. What have you seen that actually works and makes us happier in that realm? Well, I mean, I think from our research, we saw that, you know, the the vast, vast majority of people feel that hybrid working has been fantastic for managing their physical and mental well-being. You know, we found that over three quarters of people felt that it was, you know, it was a positive uh, movement in that direction. So I think that's, um, y- you know, that's been to some extent, I suppose, a surprise and and a and a kind of consequence of the pandemic. I think now, really, what we've seen is that there therefore is an expectation that people can live a hybrid and flexible working life. You know, we've we've really seen again from from the research we did that actually. It is almost the number one health and well-being benefit um, that people now expect from employers. You know, over two thirds of people actually just expect their employers to offer it in the way that traditionally you might have expected private health insurance or other well-being services. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's you know it's really been a game changer in terms of people being able to manage their physical and mental well-being. I think historically when we did research as to the impact of working from home, um, we definitely obviously saw, as we all know, detrimental impact on physical health and mental health. But even then, people said that they found it easier to improve and manage their physical and mental health. So Mm -hmm. it was this sort of slightly dichotomous result that we got, which is to some extent it was detrimental, but to some extent they had more control to manage it. Yeah. So I think it's I, th- I think it's it's a very positive um, new era, but <laughs> I think we'll get on to the the but yeah. 
which I think it you know it brings a huge number of challenges and I think for me the interesting thing is I think we've talked people have talked a lot about and and, and again we saw it in our research what's good and bad about being in the office versus not so a lot of people say being at home is is great for physical and mental health and people say being in the office is great for obviously relationships at work career progression um and elements like that i think what people talk less about is when everybody is hybrid and flexible it's very hard to then have formalized structured more rigid I suppose, working hours and um, agreements around when people are on, when people are off. And I think that is one of the biggest things that came out from our research was this issue around, to some extent, articulated as the right to disconnect. But I think it's this struggle to disconnect because you've got people now working in different places at different times, and that's wonderful, but it means that it's essentially a 24-7 culture then of Mm -hmm. being connected. And I think that's, to me, what I would say is one of the biggest detriments to hybrid flexible working is how do we manage that when you've got more than one person being hybrid and flexible? Yeah, it's so interesting because that that really sums it up. I mean, what I found really interesting is I've been working from home and being, I guess, hybrid working or whatever you want to call it for maybe seven years now. So when the pandemic happened, I felt like, well, I've, I'm still working from home. Obviously, it was it was awful and weird, but I had people around me who were thrust into it. And suddenly it's like they're expected to know what to do in a completely different environment. And like you just said, It's not just sort of the physical boundaries that are gone. It's like the psychological boundaries are gone. We're just floating and no one's telling us what to do. So it's like on one hand, the freedom is great. But on the other hand, if you don't know what to do with that freedom, it can be a mess. And so I wondered on that note, you know, what do you think about setting boundaries? Is there anything you can share if someone's listening, for example, who's like, God, I have no boundaries because I'm almost too free? Yeah, I mean, I think it is to some extent, I think, you know, businesses are becoming increasingly accommodating of this. And therefore, the onus goes on to the individuals to set those boundaries for themselves. I think it's very important for businesses to be setting things from a top-down level around things like the right to disconnect, around things like, um, you know, response and access. But um, I think it does move to the individual to then put rigid structures in place to be able to live by them. I think also nobody works really in isolation or very few people. So I think, you know, in a lot of cases, it's also setting team dynamics, which I think can can be very challenging, but really upfront setting out um, what everyone's expectations are within a team, I think yeah. is incredibly important. Um, Do you think it's like a leadership thing of kind of, even though if it's on the, the individual to learn how to set boundaries, like I definitely feel like people um, benefit from from doing that. It's it's hard, isn't it, though, when you're sort of lower down in a company to tell your boss, oh, I don't want to reply to your WhatsApp or Slack or whatever at midnight. Absolutely. And that's why I think from a kind of team perspective, it's very important for the leadership to say, let's set our boundaries as a group. 
and then let's live by them. And then it's very important for leaders to live by them as much as it is for everybody else in the team. Um, and I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very, very hard after the event to then, like you say, say to your boss, I'm sleeping, I'm not not responding to this. Mm. But I think it's very important up front. And absolutely, it comes sort of top down. But I think in a lot of these cases, I think... Um, you know, it is very important from a from a business perspective to to really set out the rules of the game in a very kind of transparent way, and also to understand why you're doing that. You know, to really monitor and evaluate the health and well being of your staff, I think, is a really important thing. I mean, our research again showed that a quarter of businesses don't do that, and to some extent, that might be surprising, but actually. I'm not surprised because actually, if you are going to monitor and evaluate the health and well-being of your staff, you need to know what to do with that information. There's no point just collecting it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think what you know, what's really important is obviously to have it right at the top level within the business in the sort of C-suite in terms of what is it that you're trying to achieve, why are you doing this, and therefore trickling down to well, what are the kind of um, policies or positions that we have to put in place in order to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Because I think otherwise, like you say, the responsibility ends up too low within the business and it's very, very hard to then trickle that uphill rather than kind of pulling it down. Mm. Yeah. And the, the research is really interesting because like you say, we need to know what's going on before anyone can even talk about it. And I feel like for so long, there's been this like copy and paste approach across work and it's like, it's just not like that anymore. You have to yeah. get together with your particular specific team of people and say, what do you want? Because we're all so different. We're all human beings with different backgrounds, with different setups at home, different financial situations. It's like, it just doesn't work anymore to just say, right, we do it this way now yeah. across the globe, you know? Yeah. And it's really, and I think, it, you know, as a result, it's really hard on businesses. And we certainly found that with the business leaders we spoke to, which is how how do we offer appropriate, particularly around the subject of health and well-being, appropriate policies, services, provisions, support in place now in an environment where not only do you have the diversity that they've historically had within the business, but you've got diversity within this incredibly diverse operating model for individuals, for different teams, like you say, different countries around the world. Um, and so I think it becomes an enormous challenge for businesses to really know what questions to ask their staff and then what to do with those answers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why we certainly saw that actually there, you know, 50% of, of of the C-suite were saying that it's it has just become more complicated to be able to offer health and well-being mm. services to their staff. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. it's, you know, it's it's a real not one size fits all. And that's very, very hard to to manage at a business level. About that stat, actually, as a quarter of firms admit they do not currently measure employee health and well-being. It's interesting because I've worked in businesses like years ago where I think they thought health and well-being was like free drinks and mm -hmm. a ping pong table and, yep. you know, a, I don't know, a ski trip. Like in some of these places, I feel lucky to have been part of them, but that did not make me healthier or, or more well, I don't think. It was the smaller moments of like, I don't know, one of the team leaders actually being really honest with us or someone remembering your birthday or saying you've done a really good job, you just go home, everyone. 
I mean, what what does it actually look like in in real life? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can start with the end in mind, in that you know the the result of poor health and well being within your business. You know, it results in high levels of absence, and it results in high levels of presenteeism. People being at work but non productive. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the the ultimate statistic of what you're looking at is is are people happy coming into work and being productive when they're at work, um, and then underneath that, I think this is this is the challenge is what works for different individuals within the workplace. You know, an annual ski trip might work for some people, and mm-hmm. it might keep them engaged for the rest of the year. For other people, they need some something daily they need support on a you know on a frequent basis um for some people it can be very personal they want you know um almost anonymous help and support for some people they want more group activities and you know to get more kind of collaboration across the business and to work with a lot of people so that's the real challenge and i think that's where it comes to this you know, this this question of what are the right questions to ask people? And I think, in my mind, the easiest way is to keep the end in mind and think, well, let's first discuss those top level outcomes. Where are we in terms of absence, presenteeism, and and really broad health outcomes. How are people's phys- how's people's physical health? How's people men- how's people's mental health? And I think if you if you start monitoring and evaluating that, you can then unpick to see where some of the issues might be. Mm-hmm. I find it really exciting because I like that the focus has to go onto the person who works there. And it's like, how do we make that person thrive and not the other way around? Just how do this, how do this group of people make the company thrive? It's like, how do we make people sort of enjoy their time at work? And I know that... It's funny because there's so many trends now on TikTok where people are saying that like Gen Z don't want to work and like there's this trend towards quiet quitting. You've probably seen that yeah. about how people are sort of done with with burnout. They're done with being busy. They're done with corporate life. And there is a middle ground. And I think we all know it deep down what that middle ground is, which is you turn up, you do a really good job and then you go home and you feel great. And that looks different for everyone. But I don't think anyone wants to do nothing. It's just that we want to feel like we matter. Yeah. I think, again, a lot of this does come to those blurring of boundaries. Mm. You know, I think we've we've moved out of an era of, you know, you're in the office between certain hours, you walk out of the office and it's done. You know, I, I think with the pandemic, with hybrid working, all those boundaries got very blurred. I mean, the thing that I thought was very interesting from the research we did was about how actually these blur the blurring of boundaries is starting to work both ways you know which is work is bleeding into home but interestingly what we found was that a lot more people were therefore expecting more support from work in things that perhaps had traditionally not involved work so we found that about a third of people were saying that actually they would they would rather take up health and well-being propositions from work than manage them themselves mm-hmm. 
which would be something that traditionally you would think of as being sort of out of the workplace. So in a funny way, I think what's happening is a sort of rebalancing of that relationship, which is to say, if it's becoming more fluid, it needs to become fluid in both ways. Work can't just bleed into home. Home's got to be able to bleed into work. Yes. And, yeah. you know, we need to we need to rebalance how that works. And, 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 you know, and this is a brave new world for, I think, all of us, you know, because we haven't been in that environment. We've all been in that very traditional environment where often you do work set hours and you walk away and it's done at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, but it's got to be a two-way relationship with, with a business. And I think that's, that's where it comes into the, you've got to deeply understand your you know, your employee population as a business, because mm -hmm. I think there is just going to be more of an onus now for, you know, for that blending or that blurring of boundaries. Yeah. Um, and then the expectation will be on the business mm. to understand that much better. And, and if you are going to ask them about themselves to follow it up with having things to offer them in response to that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds quite optimistic, doesn't it? Because I I saw a trend, I guess, a few years ago where it felt like you had two options. You were either sort of working for a company and saying goodbye to your personal life and you're doing the whole presenteeism thing and climbing the ladder, or you were like self-employed and hustling because you are, I don't know, it was probably the time when like Girl Boss came out and all that stuff. And it was like both of those were very stressful and busy. And it feels like we're talking about a bit of a more nuanced middle ground now where you can work for a really big company and and you can have great work-life balance, maybe. I mean, I think that would be, you know, that that would be the great dream, wouldn't it? If we've actually learnt from our historical experiences yeah. and transformed the way the workplace works to be positive on both sides. <clears throat> I suppose we can't go through a historic event and not hopefully come out with some Lessons. Some lessons learned and some positive things. I think that's definitely true. I think it is always different by the size of the organisation. And I think, again, that comes down to how personalised and bespoke can they make their support and their services to the employee. You know, it's incredibly hard as a large corporate with hundreds of thousands of employees mm -hmm. to be able to do that compared to a, you know, a small business of 10 people. So I think it's, you know, it's always going to be very very variable but I think the dynamic I, I would say yes in a positive way the dynamic has changed that there is a bit of a blurring of lines positive and negative but overall um, you can potentially navigate those you know those, mm -hmm. those sort of two ends of the spectrum in one in one environment yeah. I think the difference is the expectations of people coming into the workplace now and the ability to voice those expectations that perhaps, you know, I think the dynamic has definitely changed just societally on that. I think historically, large businesses could, you know, could very much control the board. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I think that that dynamic has changed, that people yeah. feel they have a voice and they have expectations on what a business will do for them as well as what they will do for the business. And they will voice that and, and actually move with their feet if not. I mean, yeah. we found that, you know, a bit, you said that, the, you know, the sort of silent resignation, but, you know, our research showed that actually if, you know, 
over 50% of people within the sort of younger age bracket, sort of 16 to 34, said that if they weren't offered flexible working, they would move with their feet. That's a dynamic that businesses now have to have to face. Yeah. What's interesting now about earning money is you can earn money on the side. You can sort of experiment, you can explore. So it is an interesting time. The other thing I suppose that we should talk about, because I found this really interesting from the report, is that 34% of workers want mental health resources like counselling, wellbeing apps, and you mentioned the right to disconnect. That's so interesting because that that's quite a big thing to ask for, isn't it, in the workplace? And of course, if people need that, which they do, it should be available if it can be. But do you think people have always sort of needed this mental health aspect at work or do you think we just talk about it more now? I think I think there are sort of two things at play. I think in a in a brilliant sense for a whole load of work that so many brilliant people have done over the last 20 years, stigma is slowly being chipped away at. And so we are able to talk about it now, which I think is a fantastic move. Um, and I think people are being able to voice their wants, their needs, their expectations for business in that place in a way that I don't think perhaps 10 years ago people felt the ability to do. So I think Mm -hmm. that's very positive. I think the negative is the general trend towards poorer mental well-being. It is an increasing problem for us um, that needs to be addressed. And and, and I think, you know, I I think we all know that, um, you know, yes, the pandemic had a significant impact on that. But the trend wasn't looking good prior, Mm -hmm. you know, and and Mm. I think most people suspect that actually, regardless of the pandemic, that it was trending um, in the wrong direction anyway, for a lot of the reasons that that we know about. So I think think there is something hugely positive about people being able to ask for those services. Um, But I think, unfortunately, it is because there is also more need for those services. I don't think stigma's gone. What I would say is people can generically say there is a need for that. I think people struggle to talk about their personal experiences in that mm-hmm. in that space. Um, and so certainly at Vitality, we've been very focused on the anonymity of those services um, and being able to make sure that people feel safe and able to experience an anonymous service of support to make sure that their privacy is protected in that space. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say I would say great strides have been made. Because the other thing that seems to come about in conversations of, with, with friends and with, with other people I know, if they're a manager or they are a se- in a senior position, they're almost expected now to be, I don't want to say a therapist, obviously, but like this sort of shoulder to cry on. And I know that's always been sort of in the job description, but it's not what you're trained for, especially if you're just sort of doing your job. Is that why as well we need to lean on other external places to help people get through that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of businesses, as we as we found in our in our research, a lot of businesses have actually increased the amount of support for managers to be able to manage employee health and well-being. Because I think you're right in the sense that I think there is a greater expectation on managers to manage the health and well-being, whether it's mental health, physical health, et cetera, of their employees. So I think that is definitely a challenge. And I think as part of that, you're absolutely right. You need supportive services. There are a huge number of things that a manager would struggle to be able to deal with. I think the big challenge for managers is, yes, there's been a trend for them to have to get more engaged in in the health and well-being of their employees. But at the same time, that's been in this hybrid working environment where you don't necessarily 
see your employees every day. You know, you are having to make judgments about mm -hmm. health and well-being from a, an online call with somebody um, and how they interact with you on email. And, you know, people are people, you know, we're sort of attuned to being able to pick up signals when you see people, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very different mm -hmm. skill to be able to do that with someone that you don't see every week, every month, even, you know, in some cases, it can be quite rare. So I think for managers, there's been a huge amount of pressure to be able to not just get involved in this space, but get involved in this space in a very different way to the way managers five, 10 years ago would have would have been involved. It's it's a fascinating one. Who knows where it's going to go? I mean, do you have any ideas? I know this research comes out every so often. I mean, are you noticing kind of a general movement towards anything? Like well, I think the thing that's going to be really interesting is we've done Britain's healthiest workplace for the last 10 years or more. And we're about to do, so the last one was in 2019, and we're about to um, get the results for this year's in November. And that'll be really interesting because that's something then you can really see that sort of longitudinal progression and, and potentially what has changed, um, you know, over this, over this more recent period. And I think the interesting thing is there, a bit to our point earlier about sort of the size of business and the impact that that can have, we break that down into smaller, medium and larger businesses as well to mm -hmm. see sort of what those, what those trends have been and, and potentially a little bit of, of where we're heading. I think, gosh, if I had a glass ball, I would say we are still in the settling period. You know, I think there is a lot of change still to come. Got like a goosebump then. <laughs> it was very like, oh God. Because we all know we, that don't is worry. so... I'm not, that I, is the I reality. don't really have a crystal ball and I'm not really <laughs> giving any great forecasts. But I think the reality is, I think people want... More than anything, after the change that we've gone through over the last five, yeah, over the last three years, to 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 just settle and just say, okay, this is this is how it's going to be now, and I can adjust to that, and that's fine. But I just, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're all learning on the job at the moment of how how do we make this work. I think we're still seeing from a a health and well being perspective, particularly around mental health, as we talked about. I think we're still seeing the impact of the pandemic. Um, we're certainly seeing in mental health, we're certainly seeing it in physical health, the things coming through. So I think, you know, to some extent, that also needs to come through the system to see sort of where we are in the absence. We've all gone through an enormous global shock um, and that takes time. Um, and then I think we have, you know, combined with that, completely transformed the way we work. Mm -hmm. And to expect that to settle anytime soon, I think is, you know, is is a bit ambitious. I think yeah. we, we've got a good few years ahead of us of just businesses working out what works, what doesn't work, and you know, changing the relationship actually with between a business and employees. And it, it's a really seismic shift we've gone through in terms of how how businesses communicate with employees, how they relate to employees, how how that kind of construct now works or that handshake between an employee and a business now works mm -hmm. is fundamentally different to what it was five years ago. Wow, yeah, um, so true. And that just is going to take time to settle down. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, you know, I, I, I think it will be to the benefit of all of us. You know, I'm, I'm sure we will um, find a new normal that does work. Um, but will everything everyone tries over the next few years work? No. Mm. You know, there will yeah. be some mistakes made. No doubt about it. Totally. Um, it's like a teething period that, that is kind of elongated over time. Yes, because I think there are so many things happening at the same time. I think, like I say, I think you've got this lag of the health and well-being effect that, that COVID has had. I think you've got this seismic shift in the expectations of a workforce coming out of a global shock. And I think you've got the seismic shift of how we can now construct a hybrid world. You know, technology's got to the point where we can do that. Mm. You know, actually, if if we tried to do that 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to have hybrid working in the same way that we, you know, that we can now. Actually, I wanted to end on because I feel like the other main element is technology. Yep. And the fact that technology is obviously increasingly getting more intelligent by the day. We have all these tools in place to monitor, you know, whether it's, I don't know, the Apple Watch or whatever, but like we can measure our health and well-being more. We can get feedback from our employees more regularly and in a smarter way. But also it feels like technology is like almost the the third person in the room sometimes. Yep. And we're like working with it. How are people grappling with such a ginormous thing at the same time as grappling with all of this? <laughs> Not a big problem to solve. Um, no, I think... Is it helping or hindering is my question, actually, because yeah. we, we just spoke about right to disconnect. The technology is there, so we're glued to it. So it's helping us yep. get our work done and log in whenever and blah, blah, yep. blah. But it's also hindering yep. our health and well-being. Yeah, I agree. I think about it also in a slightly different way when I think about health and well-being, which is... Does it actually change the outcome? Because I think you're right. There's a lot of things to monitor nowadays. You know, I can monitor my steps, my sleep, my everything, everything I eat, everything. You know, you can log and monitor everything. But do you have the tools to change anything? And does it fundamentally have a positive result? And I think that, for me, is the big challenge. I heard the most extraordinary statistic that last year, 90,000 new health apps went online. What? 90,000? Yep. Wow. And, you know, with, so if you think about any medical device, any medication, you know, it goes through a really rigorous process to see whether it, you know, first of all, doesn't harm, but then secondly, actually has impact. And, we are becoming obsessed with monitoring and having these tools, whether it's for mental or physical health. And we don't have any evidence that actually, in the end, they positively impact our health. Or in a very limited number of cases, you, you know, there is solid evidence that they positively impact your health. Part of it, of course, is that the, you know, the, the evidence base has to build over time. Um, and, and I understand that. But but therefore, we should go in cautiously to a lot of these things and really think, is it going to get me or us, if it's the case of a business, the results that we're looking for? Um, or is it monitoring for monitoring's sake or something else? And so I think that that for me is how I suppose the positive I've seen, which is, you know, that digital health and well-being has gone through the roof. And there are so many brilliant 
brilliant facilities that you can get hold of. You know, I think um, both in physical and mental health, there are some amazing tools and technologies out there that have um, have really exponentially changed the way in which health is provided, which I think is amazing and fantastic um, for us going forwards, particularly from an access perspective and from a cost perspective, which right back to the beginning of our conversation was sort of why I got into this in the first place. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure that these things are actually having the impact that they're supposed to. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's definitely one of the big challenges. And then I think the same is is true when it comes to, I suppose, more the workplace facilitation, like you were saying, the sort of constant access to emails and to, um, you know, to, to kind of the constant connectivity. I think we really need to think through what is productive and appropriate connectivity and what isn't, mm-hmm. you know, and then actually cut out what isn't, yeah. you know, if it's not productive, it's not appropriate. And, you know, worse of all, it actually is detrimental it needs to be stopped. So I think, you know, we really need to think what is the outcome you want, make sure the technology supports that outcome mm-hmm. and make sure that no technology is detrimental to that outcome. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, when you were talking, I kind of imagined, you know, there's like James Bond screening rooms where everyone's like, there's just screens everywhere and there's graphs everywhere and we're monitoring everything and we know where everything is in a, on a digital map. And it's like, Underneath all of that, it's probably more simpler than we think, which is like human being to human being. Like, yeah. are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Without needing all these graphs and shiny tools and, you know, you, a company could spend millions on the new technology, but it's like, are you actually asking if people are okay? Yeah. It can be a lot simpler. And I think um, the other thing that I think you also, with some of the more monitoring elements that you forget is our lives are very subjective. So you can collect a lot of objective information on people and not know subjectively how they feel about anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, you've got to balance, like you say, that asking people the right questions as well as, you know, as well as monitoring. And and I think with, you know, with data collection, the way data collection is going in the world, you know, we need to make sure that if somebody is collecting data that it has a right and appropriate purpose. You're going to do something with Mm -hmm. that data. We cannot just keep collecting data for data's sake. Very true. Um, For anyone listening, if you want to check out the research in the report, I'll leave a link below so people can read all of it. Um, Is there anything else you want to say before we tune out? (laughs) Gosh, um, so many things I could say. Um, No, I think... You know, I think the, the the one other element that I think we we haven't touched on is also around the more sort of personal elements of health and well-being. And I think something that we that I've talked a lot about historically is this issue that I also think that people are people and businesses are getting bombarded with everything they should do. You know, I think, you know, there's so much you could do, right? I mean, from an individual level, you get told you've got to lose weight, do more physical activity, stop smoking, drink less, eat more healthily. And even in eat healthily, it's, you know, these foods you've got to eat and these foods you've got to not eat. And it can be really overwhelming, as you say, you know, and I think, I think one of the really important things is rigorous prioritization, you know, so when it comes to an individual we've launched something called the next best action so that it's the one thing 
that will improve the number of healthy years you have left. Just to say to people, actually, there's a whole load of things you could do, but this is the one thing that will have the biggest impact for you. And I feel the same about businesses. You know, what you really want to kind of laser in on is there's there's a lot of things you could be offering to your staff. But actually, what's the one thing? And that's where it comes to this sort of the data collection for what purpose, you know, really laser that one thing. Because in the same way that individuals get bombarded with health information, employees get bombarded with health and well-being information, don't know which way to look. You know, the important thing is to be able to really channel and say, this is the one thing to focus on. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's yeah. all I would say. Yeah. Makes it much more manageable. Makes it much Cut more down manageable. the to-do list. Yep. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Pleasure. And that's all for now. Great. 